Hello and welcome back to Three Lessons from Breakthrough Leaders. I'm Zana Ryabchuk, MD at Breakthrough Global. And I'm Dr. Bart Sale, Breakthrough CEO and founder. We've spent 30 years developing the Breakthrough methodology to transform companies who want to reach the highest level. And in this podcast, we'll get to the heart of that transformation, meeting leaders and creative talents to share three lessons that we guarantee will help you and your companies to unleash your potential. And Bart and I will take a moment to analyse the key takeaways and opportunities for breakthrough thinking. In today's episode, we'll hear from Sylvie Moreau, President of Europe and Middle East at Sephora. Previously, Sylvie led Coty Professional as President and was EVP at P&G. We know from working with Sylvie, she's an example of a leader who really walks the talk. And today we'll learn these three lessons from her the importance of holistic leadership. I've really developed a strong belief in the power of, um, of creating a workplace which is based on accountability, on high standards, but also on mutual respect, on trust, on strong relationships and a deep sense of belonging. So I aspire to embody what I like to call the three H leadership. The heart unlocks success. I care because, because I'm a business leader and I've seen the results that it have. I always say, you know, I think love drives the top line and the bottom line. Why we need to redefine equality. If we want to build a better world after this pandemic, if, if we don't have equal seats at the table, we are not going to look at the world holistically through the eyes of the population we're looking to serve. Lesson one the 3H leadership model. So Sylvie, welcome to the Breakthrough Podcast. Thank you, Zana. Sylvie, in your own words, how would you define your own leadership style? Uh, so through my experience, I've really developed a strong belief in the power of, um, of creating a workplace which is based on accountability, on high standards, but also on mutual respect, on trust, on strong relationships and a deep sense of belonging. So I aspire to embody what I like to call the three H leadership, holistic leadership with three H. Lead with the head, lead with the hands, but also lead with the heart. You know, to tell you a little bit more about the concept, the way I define it is, so pillar one, lead with the head. It's all about the importance of understanding your category and your competitive landscape. It's about having a compelling purpose, vision and set of goals and a well-defined and choiceful business strategy. And my experience is without that, you can't win. But then I also believe in hands-on leadership. Uh, you know, at any level of the hierarchy and also at the top, it's about showing accountability and mastery in what you do. It's about being visible and approachable, close to the field, close to where the action is, and willing to contribute to the team. And finally, and so important these days, lead with the heart. Uh, the talent to connect with your consumers and customers, of course, with your team, and the ability to attract, to engage, to retain, to motivate your team. And I feel that the art is really to combine the three, as I don't think we should compromise on one aspect over another and have any trade-offs between head, hand, and heart. Hearing this, it's a great model, and uh, it's got it's got simplicity. Mm -hmm. But I think that the application of it gives you profound results. There's many things I like about it, but something that just occurred to me now is that you know in the past we've spent a lot of time talking about integrity, 
And I think it's in a way an overused word and, and it becomes what we call a fat word because everybody has a different meaning for it. But you've got a way of actually showing what this is and what it consists of because how I'm thinking here that if you've got those three aspects, the three H's, and you embody those, and you apply those, and you're congruent to each of them, the integration of it and the congruence of it, the embodiment of it, is actually a powerful form of integrity. Yeah, and Bart, you know, I feel that companies today must be more holistic in their value creation you know, more horizontal in their organization, more diversified in their talent, more inclusive in their leadership, more flexible. And as you say, it's it's this holisticity um, that makes it uh, integral, if you want. It's about everything in- integral versus integrity. So I'm interested in what the cost might be for a leader who doesn't use your 3H uh, uh, leadership concept. So um, what are some of the ways that they're really missing out? So. Um, from my standpoint, uh, you know, when if, if, if you don't have the head part, you can't win. So I'm really convinced um, that without a good understanding of your business and a, and a good strategy on where you play, how you win, you can't win. You 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 can't seize what you can't see. So that piece is is fundamental, and I'm I've seen it time and time again when a, a bad strategy leads to bad outcome. But then on the hand part. Um, I've seen also so many times where the strategy is insufficient because the the strategy needs to be carried through actions by many people in the trenches, in the real world. And so there's also this point of uh, leaving the boardroom and going into the field and, and making it happen. And so that's why, for me, this piece of um, mastery, being close to the to to where the action is is so critical, because again, you a strategy doesn't win; it's the execution that wins, and so that's that's why this transformation from head to hands is so critical. And then, lastly, it has to come through the heart, you know, because I was reading the, that uh, there was the ADP Research Institute who surveyed close to twenty thousand people in nineteen countries, and they found that only sixteen percent of employees were fully engaged at work. The rest either merely show up. So what a waste of unfulfilled personal potential. What a waste of economic potential. So um, I think it's Gallup who surveys, you know, um, engagement uh, from, you know, many companies. And they've seen that the top turtle business unit, they perform 17% more uh, in terms of productivity and 21% more in terms of profitability than the bottom turtle. So uh, it's it's obvious that if you unleash the people potential, uh, and I think it has to come from relationship with manager, I've got a meaningful work to do, I'm rewarded for the task. And all of this comes from deep relationship and uh, with, with, within your team and with your boss. That's what really unleashes uh, huge performance. Sylvie's 3H model reflects our own team value called the line of one. And for our listeners who don't know what the line of one is, it's set on a number of really, really powerful principles. The first is alignment, not agreement. 
you're never going to get 100% agreement across any team. It's, it's almost impossible. But you can find a higher ground where you can reach alignment that will enable you to start to move forward. So we're always asking our clients to seek alignment, not agreement. Unity, not uniformity. We don't want everybody to be the same. We don't want a bunch of robots. Diversity of thought is fundamental. But we need to have unity. We need to all be working um, in the same direction and singing from the same hymn sheet. Mutual support. People need to support one another. You know, if somebody gets sick or is really struggling and needs some additional support, we need to be there to do that for them. Collaboration. The ability to collaborate as teams. Working as an individual, wanting to win for yourself and playing politics doesn't work. We have to be able to collaborate effectively together. And this is always underpinned by a healthy communication flow. As we've talked about on some of the other podcasts, communication flow is the lifeblood of an organization. It needs to be flowing effectively. And for today's leaders, it's essential to have a holistic approach. And Zana, the line of one that you've described, the leader, of course, has to be out front with this, role modeling each of those distinctions. And what we know about Sylvie is, She does that and does that very well. Lesson two, the heart unlocks success. I'm wondering in in your career, and especially since you've developed this way of working, um, have you met with conflicts uh, within your organizations, you know, maybe with peers or you've actually felt the conflicts yourself in in, in being able to do this? Um, what I would tell you is I, uh, I'm puzzled that often leaders confuse a caring approach to leadership with being soft. For me, that's the biggest conflict, which is they have often confused my approach to putting people at the center of, you know, I'm a softie and I'm not a softie. I've just understood that it's the core fuel of energy, of value creation. And so I don't want to have any loss in the system by having disengaged employees. And so I care because because I'm a business leader and I've seen the results that it have. I always say, you know, I think love drives the top line and the bottom line, Uh, but it doesn't make me soft. And so um, for me, that's the biggest experience I have. And and I'm just saying it's not not a trade-off. It doesn't have to be an end. You can be strategic and people-oriented. You can be hands-on and be able to then raise up to a higher level of vision when you have to. That really reminds me so strongly of an example that has, I will probably remember for my whole life, actually, um, when we were working with you on a breakthrough program and we were talking about resilience. The team had been working very hard. Everyone mm-hmm. was very tired. Um, and uh, and we were talking about the importance of sleep, you know, something that's very simple, but incredibly, incredibly important, the foundation of, of, of all of our health. And you sort of called out to the team and you just said, look, guys, we have we have facilities. If you need to take a nap in the middle of the day because you're not able to concentrate, you're too exhausted, please go and do it. Sleep is really important. And suddenly everyone kind of looked around and, uh, and looked surprised and, and inspired and kind of excited and as if, well, we're really getting permission to do this. And you just laid out for them that this was something that 
you've you know used as an important foundation for your ability to lead effectively um you know taking care of yourself matters and and you, you at the same time really iterated that it makes good business sense you know if people are mm-hmm. too tired to actually do good work then what's the point of them having this presenteeism and it created this amazing wave of psychological safety and showed your own kind of humanity and vulnerability in that leadership moment so yeah i think that that was that was something that really struck me and and, and will always always stay with me Thank, thank you, Zana. Um, I always say, you know, when you're a leader, the first person you need to lead is yourself. And so that all that aspect of self-care, I'm really good about it. I've become really good about it because, you know, it's like, you know, when you go in the plane, when we used to be in planes, where they say, you know, the oxygen mask will fall and then please put on them on yourself first before you help others. It's exactly the same concept on managing your own energy. You have to be accountable for your own energy level because otherwise you can't lead properly. It's not always easy. It's actually one of the toughest things to do. Um, but it needs to be a priority. You need to be selfish, to be selfless. I think to add to that as well is is another finding. Maybe it was Gala, but people don't leave jobs. They leave managers. And, yes. and it's, it's because the manager or leader has created uh, an environment that really doesn't give them the things they really want, which, as you say, is meaning. They want meaning. People want they, meaning. Um, they want to feel that they're valued. Uh, and they want to feel that they're growing. Yes. And, and I don't see how you can do that without that big H, the third H, H. the heart. I don't like to think about companies meant primarily to create shareholder value. I I like to think that companies have employees at their heart and that a combination of a good strategy, but all the relationships within the company and with all the stakeholders, the customers, the suppliers, shareholders, communities, it's those relationships that create positive outcomes for all, not just for the shareholders, but all the other stakeholders. It's interesting what you say, because um, in my experience and my career with Breakthrough, I've, I've seen that trend. I've seen that trend from um, 20 years ago when, when it was very much about shareholder value. Mm-hmm. That was always the number one. We would be, we would be in leadership meetings, and that came out, and and you'd see people the the company's visions, and it was all about that as number one. And mm-hmm. um, I, I can remember that I think it was Richard Branson who famously said, "I disagree with that." That mm-hmm. as far as my company is concerned, the number one are my people, because they're the ones that are going to create shareholder value. Absolutely. You know, this is why I think putting the the people at the center of the value creation model, uh, your employees, but all the constituents is absolutely fundamental. And even more so in the post-pandemic era where I think um, everybody now has dramatically understood that uh, the communities we live in, the communities we activate being employers, are paramount in in the value creation model. So Sylvie, thinking now, of course, about how the world has changed so dramatically during the pandemic, 
we have found that there's a real emphasis now on the idea of emotional intelligence over and above what there was before. Um, and this idea of empathetic leadership being more and more important, because although senior leaders were supposed to be coaching their teams long before the pandemic, what was tend to be happening was a little bit more directing. And mm -hmm. yet now, with all of us working virtually, you have to have a high level of emotional intelligence to spot the different social cues, you know, that you couldn't necessarily pick up so easily as when you're stood or sat next to somebody in a meeting room. So do you think that the leaders that you've come across in your career and, 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 and that you're in, in contact with were ready for this dramatic change and this sudden need to, to really exude high emotional intelligence with all of their people? So um, maybe three things. One is my experience is the most dis differentiating factors amongst leaders is EQ, not IQ, because we're all casted for EQ anyway, for IQ anyway. <laughs> so somehow through our studies, etc., that um, it's really the human factor that is the most differentiator across leaders. Uh, point two is, yes, the pandemic has made the, the has been the ultimate rallying cry for Command and control is not possible anymore as a leadership style, this directive style that you were talking about. But the reality is that the need was there way before. Because when you think about the young generation, the young generation, if you want to recruit them and then let alone after you recruit them, retain them, they are so wise when it comes to um, many things. And they are... Uh, I'm very impressed by that generation, and and they are they, they need meaning, but they also need an inclusive workspace. Uh, they uh, they they need a growth, like Bart was saying. Uh, they want the planet to be at the center of the conversation. So it's really this people profit planet model, and so it, it was needed to actually have sustainable companies that could attract and retain this new amazing new generation. So for sure, the pandemic has accelerated this need for change. Um, and it's, it's obvious that we all have to now rise to the challenge of a higher level of consciousness and a higher level of leadership uh, because of the sudden, unpredictable, overwhelming change that, uh, that the pandemic has created and, and the lasting and profound impact it will have on the society and on the economy. As we've said previously on the podcast, well-being is now absolutely front and centre for organisations leaders. But the thing about well-being is how you lead and how you encourage people to manage their own well-being and how you manage your own is essential as well. And that leadership style will have a significant impact on the people in your company. And in our experience, there's leaders who don't put people first. Um, they're more interested about their own results and some of them get their results by intimidating people and in order to get those results of course they need to surround themselves by people who are willing to be intimidated other leaders may get their results by manipulation and again to do that they need to be with people who they can manipulate and then there's another type of leader who gets the results from personal power, not the abuse of power, as the first two examples are. And this is coming from deep inside. And this is what 
at core is holistic leadership. You're right, Bart. And those two first leadership styles, those leaders are going to become extinct because they're not focusing, as Sylvie says, on people, profit and planet. There's no room for them in modern business. All right, go for it, Bart. Lesson three, equality for a better world. So Sylvie, I work a lot on female leadership and the importance of of raising women up in leadership. What do you think are some of the challenges that are still facing women in business today? And how can we really, truly start to to move forward and, and fix and change this? Because it's very slow, isn't it? Yes, so I'm really passionate about gender equality. Um, and, and to be honest, it's quite recent because I, w- I, was, I feel I was blessed to be raised in, in France in a culture and in an environment where uh, many women were working and be- being mothers. So I would say the average uh, or the very common um, household is uh, two working parents with kids. Uh, and so, and even at the... Uh, at any level of the organization. And so, and it's only when I moved to Geneva that I realized that we are not all equal in terms of the, the culture imprints uh, and actually the political choices that favor women uh, and men being equal um, in all aspects of, of their lives. Fundamentally, I think that companies should take a role and, and every, you know, every company raises up to that point of um, inclusion and diversity, including for female advancement. But it's it's society at large where we need to make the most progress because the commitment and the availability that is required for leadership positions are generally very difficult to make compatible with the societal constraints to which women are often more exposed. Uh, and personally, I don't think it's being a professional and a mother that is difficult. It's as difficult to be a professional and a father but what's, what we need to start talking about is this third role that we never talk about, which is running the household, uh, which is all this unpaid work that the society is, in, is imposing on women. And so this, this sharing of domestic tasks, you know, we need to start talking about mundane stuff that no one wants to talk about. And, and I find in life, the solution is often found when you really talk the nitty gritties and you start to face the reality the way it really is. And so unless um, this running the household is equally shared, or in my case, I've outsourced most because I've got, I had a nanny that was running, taking care of our daughter and running our household. That's the way we could both have a fulfilling careers because otherwise it just falls on the women in the couple more often than not. Uh, and, and, and I'm not even talking about the mental load here. I'm talking about the physical work of, of doing stuff. And then on top of that, there's the mental load because uh, most of the doing is done when you've done the planning. And the planning is taking some brain cells here. And uh, I often joke with my male colleagues and I said, you know, uh, when you're walking around, you're doing strategies. And uh, uh, or when you're falling asleep, you can do strategies. I'm doing lists. Uh, because I've got all this mental load of planning things for the for the family, and and you know it's like it's like uh, your phone when you've got all these apps open. Have you seen how the batteries are drained very fast? This is the way a woman's brain is functioning. It's full of apps running all the time in the background, and that's what's really draining the energy. And unfortunately, the pandemic has made this even worse than ever. 
So we've gone backward in sharing the load. You know, the optimist in me would have thought, oh, great, everybody's going to notice all this work that women are doing and, and people take for granted. And you know what? Um, we've made it worse because not only these tasks have been, maybe they've been noticed, but they've not been shared equally at all. You know, this extra lunch, uh, taking care of the homeschooling has largely fell on, on, on the woman's shoulders. And I remember, Sylvie, you, you told me a story once um, about, uh, which I think really sums this up in terms of how organisations certainly can, can give the right goals that you might want to set or, um, or the rewards that you might want to offer employees. And it was, um, I think it was, it, was, it was at P&G and it was to do with your first car, or first company car. Is that right? Yes. I've, I, I, uh, when I became a GM in P&G, I was blessed to be offered a company car. But personally, I couldn't care less about the car. Uh, and uh, and then I asked the question, but what happens if I don't take the car? Do I get cash instead? And they say, yes, you know, yes, you can. It's less favorable in terms of tax uh, deductions. And and I said, well, I want the cash. But it would have be costed exactly the same to the company to have come to me and say, Sylvie, uh, as you become GM, great news. You're either entitled to a company car or you can have cash to help you actually run your household and get help at home so that you can continue doing your great career would have cost exactly the same. It would have just been a matter of positioning in a way which was um, inclusive of, uh, of me rather than taking, if I may say, a male dominant, dominant stigma of success, which is a car. This notion of you know, making the reward uh, um, inclusive of what makes sense to you would go a long way in driving um, great conversation on what helps looks like and without costing anything more. That's a great point. Uh, I'm really glad you brought that up about the, the social aspects and the home. But, but this idea that it's society itself, I think that's the bit that's neglected. But it's also the economy because the, the sort of mm -hmm. world economies are still really very, very male-oriented. If you look here in the States where... You know, there's a big debate here. I'm not getting into the politics of it, but there's a big debate here about a massive infrastructure bill, which would sort of reinvent America, actually. Mm -hmm. And so what they're arguing on is what is infrastructure? And, you know, the people who don't want a big infrastructure bill are saying, well, infrastructure is bri it's, it's bridges and doing the roads again and so on. And the people who want it to be much more as a reinvention of America they're including things like childcare. And actually through the pandemic, we saw in the States that, you know, some of the people that were really hit by the fact of the pandemic were women who had to go out to work and couldn't go out to work because the schools were closed. Mm -hmm. And that's what they were depending on for their day-to-day childcare. And that's why it's critical that at any level of decision, we are equal. And, you know, I, I'm one of the people that were against quota, but uh, the reality is nothing is moving. So, um, you know, if, if you put quota and you're, a fair world is, is a world where at the start you've got a population, 50-50 men, women, and at the top you've got the same. And you know what? Women, we don't get dumber as we get older or more senior, okay? And so if, if it doesn't come naturally, then at some point you need to... If, if we want to build a better world after this pandemic, if, if we don't have 
equal seats at the table, we are not going to look at the world holistically through the eyes of the population we're looking to serve, whether we are a politician, whether we are in um, big companies or running our communities. And so it's really critical that we are um, all at the table coming with our different point of view so that we all come up with a better, more holistic approach on how we rebuild this better world. I heard a great story for me anyway, uh, just recently. And uh, it comes from a book that, that, that talks about basically that economics has been built by men for men and that the, the fact of that has slowed down innovation. And uh, they tell a number of little stories, but the one, the one that for, for me was humorous was the wheeled suitcase. Now, people probably haven't been using it much over the last year or so. But the wheeled suitcase was actually invented a long time ago, but it was seen as too girly by the men <laughs> who actually, they want to carry their suitcase and their wife's suitcase to show their strength to do that. <laughs> and actually, it was also invented at a time when, why would a woman want a wheeled suitcase? Because we're sort of controlling how much uh, travel they get. They only travel with their husband. And so nobody developed it. And it was only in the 70s after the, um, I think it was like that second round of feminism that more women went into the workforce and they said, I want a wheel on my suitcase. <laughs> and then so, somebody so-called invented the wheeled suitcase, even though it was invented a long time ago. And then it took off. And, and the book is a whole set of stories like that, which, uh, you know, show we could do bias. a book. We could do a book about all these bias, like the tie mic oh. and uh, uh, like I don't wear a tie, so I can't have a tie mic. Uh, <laughs> there's so many things where you say, OK, clearly <laughs> that was not thought about for, for equally men and women, for sure. And I agree with you. I, I really judge suitcases based on actually uh, how smooth the wheels are. With no noise at all. <laughs> you can tell we're frequent flyers, Sylvie. That's yeah, yeah, the sort of thing yeah, that you, you get yeah. sucked into as a frequent flyer, absolutely. So thinking now um, about your personal life a little bit, what, uh, would, what would your daughter say that she's learned from you the most, you know, this inspirational mum? I, I trust and I hope she would say that she learned to love herself, to believe in herself and to push herself. I actually wrote to her a letter when she turned 16 and I was giving her some advice and it started by love yourself because, you know, to be happy in life, it starts by accepting and loving ourselves unconditionally, acknowledging that we are not perfect, being kind and respectful and loving to ourselves because the way you treat yourself will show others how to treat you. And so, especially for girls, it's, it's really important. Um, to also fight the syndrome of want to be perfect. Um, you need to accept your flaws as well. Um, believe in herself, because I really think that the biggest contributing factor to success is self-belief. And so I, I, I trust that she would say that she can accomplish anything she wants um, if she's, of course, determined and with some hard work, but if she believes in herself. So I hope and uh, trust she would say that. And then finally to push herself and, and find out how far she can go, uh, including outside of, of the comfort zone, because um, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. 
So um, it's all about accepting failures as stepping stones towards the dream. You know, everybody fails at something. What's not okay is not to try. And so, um, you know, putting yourself out there, you never know what door will open when you push yourself. I'm so glad that we've started talking more about women in leadership from this angle. Um, and what I certainly see and think of as important for businesses to realize is that, you know, women don't want quotas. That's not the ideal. But, and in, in fact, I would say I was even one of those people to begin with who really felt, you know, quotas are not the way, it, it, it's, it's not going to help things. Um, and I've completely come full circle because we need them. They're the only thing that works. They're the only thing that is getting this dial to move because otherwise we're going at such a glacial pace. Yes, we definitely need more leaders like Sylvie. Yes. So when I coach female leaders, the challenges that they face are often incredibly similar um, and potentially quite cliched in many ways. You know, they're specific to mental load, work-life balance, being overlooked, even though they're often delivering fantastic results, being talked over in meetings and kind of shut down. Um, and also a big issue that we come to again and again and again is that women tend to say yes to everything. Um, and far too many things. So they spread themselves really, really thin. Um, and I absolutely love Sylvie's analogy of all of the apps running in the background. Um, it's one that I will definitely, definitely use. It's so accurate. Just this constant, constant overload. So we work with them to build their personal power and their ability to say no to all of these tasks that don't add value so that they can direct their resources onto the outcomes that will build their futures. This gets them noticed and this gets them into the next leadership position. Okay, let's go to our hot seat questions. So, Sylvie, I think it's time to move on to the breakthrough hot seat questions. Aha. Uh -huh. so, are you ready? Yes. All right, let's go. So the first one is, what is the most exciting thing you've ever done? Having dinner with the French 1998 World Cup uh, World Champion soccer team and holding the World Cup, actually. You got to hold the World Cup? Yeah. I might be a beauty executive, but I'm a big, big sports fanatic. So that might lead quite nicely into this. What brings you energy and motivation in your everyday life? So fundamentally to love what I do, but the, the secret weapon we've talked is to be very disciplined to sleep enough every day. And so in my case, it's seven and a half hours. And my trick and my tip to people is um, really understand what you need to give yourself. Um, and, uh, and for me, if it's not seven and a half hours, it's six hours, because what matters to me is I give myself multiple sleep cycles and I don't break a sleep cycle in the middle. So largely, they're always about around 90 minutes. So for me, it's either six, seven and a half or nine. That's my energy source. It's free. It's the best kept beauty secret as well. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So finish this sentence for me, please. Success is measured by the size of your dream, the strength of your desire, and the spine to handle disappointments along the way. Wow. Sylvie, among our audience out there listening now and getting so much from you, there are people who are new to business. They're setting off. Um, it's their first position. And what, from your, you've had an extraordinary career and a very successful career. And um, I'm wondering what advice you would give 
to somebody like that out there that's listening today? Uh, I would say live a life with purpose and follow your passion. A few years ago, I came across this uh, model about self-fulfillment, which I find very profound yet very simple. It's you can be fulfilled when you find this magic place where you can combine what you love with what you're good at, what you can be paid for, and what makes a difference in the world. One of the reasons that I absolutely love the last 10 years in my professional career is that I precisely found a place where I could leverage my strength of, you know, being people oriented and very operational. Um, it was in beauty, which is an area of passion for me. I got, I could be paid for, that was my job. But then the meaning came because when you worked in the professional industry versus uh, fast-moving consumer goods before, when you're a great partner to the hairdressers who have chosen their profession for a living and they actually activate the communities around them and, and create values for their families, if you're a good partner, you really make a difference for hundreds of thousands of families around the world because you make them successful. And so that piece of making a difference really came to life. And so I, I really love that model. Um, and uh, I really think that, you know, you can have passion without success, but you can never have success without passion. And so find your area of passion and create that life with purpose. And then everything will be, will make sense and you will be successful. So finally, Sylvie, um, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, Sylvie, how could they do that? Maybe is that through social media or via us if they wanted to find out more or, or maybe give you a comment or question? Indeed, via social media, I find it an incredible tool for me to stay in touch with my team, our customers, uh, the society in which we live, my passions. So I'm very active on LinkedIn and then on Instagram. Uh, Sylvie Moreau Le Peignol, so it's best that you reach me there. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today, Sylvie. We've absolutely loved having you. Thank you for being so candid and giving us such rich and generous answers um, and being so generous with your time as well. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so Sylvie. much. I thank hope you. this can help uh, your audience along the way to I wish them you know, a very fulfilling life and professional journey and, and similar to, uh, to each one of you. Thanks for the opportunity. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Do make sure you hit the subscribe button and join us next time for another three lessons from Breakthrough Leaders. You can reach out to us at Breakthrough Global on LinkedIn or Facebook via Twitter at Radiant Clarity or Instagram at Global Breakthrough. And we'd love to hear your feedback and your own leadership stories. We'd also love for you to share this episode on your own social media and review and rate this podcast on your player of choice, as we want to spread these transformative lessons as wide as possible. And thanks to our production team, Yulia Schultesover at Breakthrough Global and Robin Lieburn at Fairly Media. And of course, thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye.